listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus. It's a pretty weird story, really, when you stop to think about it. I haven't heard very many sermons on it, and I'm not exactly sure we know what to do with it. It's the story of Jesus kind of ascending up to heaven after his resurrection. Now, that happened 40 days after Easter, and so it was just this, just this past Thursday that the day of ascension was celebrated. And it's next Sunday will be Pentecost, which will be 50 days after Easter. So what to do with this story? It's kind of odd, Jesus kind of floating in the air, going up to heaven. So the question is, what does it mean? And particularly, what does it mean for us? So I think we've been influenced a lot by Greek thinking. We've been influenced by what earth is and what heaven is, perhaps more than we realize. So the answer or I think the best way to approach this is to lean into Jewish thought. So the Greek thought that we've kind of adopted really comes from Plato. So whether or not you've ever actually read The Republic, there's a good chance that you've heard the allegory of the cave. It's a parable that Plato tells. And in it, there are people kind of tied up in a cave, and behind them is a fire. And it's casting kind of shadows of other people who are kind of moving. But the people who are tied up are only seeing the shadows on the wall. And so they think that that's what's real. They think that is the totality of reality. But someone is kind of set free, and they're able to turn around and not just see the fire, but then to go outside the cave and realize there's something far more real than what they thought. That what they had seen, what they had experienced, was only a shadow in comparison to the realness of reality. And so it's Plato's ideas of the forms. And, and with, this, uh, with this understanding is where we get the idea of like platonic relationships. So I remember being in middle school and high school and at church, we were kind of encouraged to have uh, platonic relationships relationships that were based on ideas, relationships that were not based on kind of physical relationships. That's another way that I think probably we should lean away from from Plato. There was a a purity culture that I think was really quite unhealthy uh, for both the boys and the girls, but especially to the girls. It promoted a lot of body shame and it created a culture that wasn't very healthy. So there are at least two ways that uh, we shouldn't kind of follow Plato. The purity culture is really another lesson. But for this one, as we're thinking about the ascension, we're mostly talking about the relationship between heaven and earth, between the ultimate reality and the reality as we now experience it. So in, in the Jewish thought and in Jewish culture, it wasn't so separated. It wasn't like, Heaven was one type of reality that was a location that was somehow separate and far away from the earthly kind of physical reality. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And so as God is creating the heavens and the earth, that doesn't just mean the sky and the earth, but it means all of creation is made up of both a spiritual reality and a physical reality. So don't think of heaven so much as some other physical location or some other geographical spot that you can just kind of float up eventually and get there. But think of it rather as the spiritual dimension of the reality in which we know. So based on Jewish thought, heaven and earth overlap and interlock. They're connected with one another. One's the physical reality and the other is the spiritual reality, but it's, it's all interlaced. It's all um, connected. There's this uh, poem that I'm fond of quoting. The actual poem is quite long. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and it's called Aurora Lee. And it's an epic poem. I mean, I think it actually fills like about nine different books. But there's this one particular stanza that I love, and those of you who've been around me for a while have heard me quote it before. But it says this, Earth is crammed with heaven and every bush ablaze but only the one who sees takes off their shoes. The rest of us just sit round and pick blackberries and dab our natural faces unaware. The idea, of course, it kind of plays on an illusion of Moses and the burning bush. And the idea there is that the Spirit of God, the presence of God, is everywhere. That every bush is ablaze with God. And it's only when we see it, it's only when we have a revelation of it, that we respond to it appropriately. Often we just kind of go about our own way, kind of experiencing the physical creation, other people, other places, but not with a sense of awe and respect that we should, realizing that it's, that it's all permeated with the presence of God, that really all ground is holy ground. But this is the Jewish idea. So when we think about the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you realize just how Jewish that prayer was. When Jesus said that we should pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That doesn't mean that there is, again, some geographical place where God is that's separate from us and that there God's will is done and there God's kingdom is established. But somehow it's not here. But rather, in the spiritual realm, we want the reality of God's kingdom and God's will to permeate into our physical realm. This is, of course, I think, how we should also understand the resurrection. So for Plato, again, the, he talked about the body being a prison of the mind or a prison of the soul. And so through philosophy, he felt like we could have these momentary escapes, right, where we could kind of occupy this greater reality of ideas. But that ultimately, we didn't really free ourselves until our death, where our soul and our mind could be freed from our body. But that's not the Jewish idea at all. You see, with Jesus, his resurrection is not just freeing his soul from his body, but it's his very body that gets resurrected. And he has the scars, and he can, he can be recognized, and he can eat, and um, he can uh, break bread, 
and kind of celebrate uh, with his friends. So we see that what happens with Jesus's resurrection is not all, not at all platonic. It is a affirmation of the goodness of creation. And it, it sets a tone for how we then should behave. So leaning into the Jewish idea that, that heaven and earth are part of this beautiful created reality that God has for us, and that the spiritual reality is somehow impinging upon the physical one. We see this again, we mentioned it in regard to Moses, but in, in regards to the, the poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, but all of the prophets do this. When the prophets have their visions, when, when they have this idea about how close God is, they're experiencing the reality uh, that we will all experience one day where the difference between the physical and spiritual will be uh, kind of non-existent, that it, the, the physical will be so infused with the spiritual in the new creation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, a new way of being. But that new way of being is not somehow simply spiritual and not physical. It's, it's a combination of both. And that's part of what the ascension is teaching us, that Jesus is not far away. That in one way, when he was just occupying his pre-resurrection body, he could only be at one place at one time. But in his transformed body, he can be in the spiritual realm and thereby be with us all. So that now Jesus is closer to us than he was without before the ascension. And there's something else that's going on here too, these kind of spatial metaphors. Jesus ascends on the day of ascension, but then 10 days later, the spirit descends on the people in the upper room. And so we get this kind of presence of God through the spirit. And we'll celebrate that next week at Pentecost. But in some ways, we celebrate the descension of the spirit every week as part of the communion liturgy there is a prayer, it's called the epiclesis, the, 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 the calling, the calling out, the calling down of the Spirit. We pray that God would send his Spirit on the elements of communion, on the bread and the cup, so that they may become the body and blood of Christ, so that as we partake them, we might be the body of Christ for the world. And that's exactly what we see in this story that we heard in Acts this story of the Ascension, it's such an interesting one. Luke actually ends his gospel with it, and then he opens the book of Acts. So the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are, are two volumes of one large story. It's, it's an epic story, too. And the, the sequel, the book of Acts, opens like all sequels often do. It opens with a bit of a recap of what had happened in the first volume, and it highlights the most significant pieces, particularly where it ended. So the Gospel of Luke ends with the Ascension, and then the book of Acts says, well, in the first Gospel, we talked about Jesus, and now we're going to talk about the effects of that in the world, and it retells the story of Jesus' Ascension. The disciples ask him, when will we see the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, that's for the Father to say, but when the Spirit comes, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth, which is this, this wonderful kind of flip of the story. 
Because during Jesus's time, the central point of their culture was Rome. And Jerusalem was way, way off on the side of the empire. It was considered kind of way uh, out in the um, in the country, far, far away from the center of culture, far away from the center of power, uh, far away from the center of, of money or, or, or politics. But Acts kind of flips that story. It shows Jerusalem to kind of be the center of the action. It's there that the Spirit falls. And it's, it's from that point that it will start to spread out to to Judea and to Samaria, and even way out there at the very ends of the earth, which interestingly, the book of Acts ends with the gospel reaching Rome. As Paul gets there as, as a Christian missionary, I mean, he's, he's, in, he's in prison by the time he gets there, but he's serving as a Christian apostle and apostle and missionary. And so the story is... is um, there's a, a certain kind of uh, political critique in the way in which that, that uh, story is shared, saying this is, this is the real story, and this is how it's going to go. And so as, as Jesus ascends, as Jesus not kind of floats up into outer space, don't think of it like that. He's not kind of just going up to some other place. We don't want to be platonic on this. But but as he kind of moves into the spiritual dimension of reality, the disciples are kind of standing there just in awe. And these, these two, it says these two people appear, these two, these two angels, and they're like, people of Galilee, why do you gaze into the sky? Jesus, this one who you've seen go, will, will come again in just the same way. And now they are then sent. They're, they're kind of sent. They go to Jerusalem and they, you know, they wait and they pray. And the promise of the Spirit comes, the, the promised Spirit then comes, and then they can do exactly what Jesus had been doing, which is bringing heaven to earth. The Lord's Prayer again that we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying that God will do this. And the beauty of this is that God is doing it and that God is using us in the process. That we, as the body of Christ, the church, right, in the world, we get to kind of bring heaven to earth. I mean, we do this in a, a variety of ways. I think we do this when we worship. Like when we worship, we are joining in with the spiritual reality. And we are participating in that, and we are we are making literally, physically on the earth, we are we are making the worship of God that's in the spiritual realm, that's in heaven, also a reality on earth. I mean, this is part of of uh, the doxology: praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise Him, all ye creatures here below, praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So we, we, we see this in Revelation, the book of Revelation, that when John has a vision of the throne room, everything is worshiping God. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, and all the angels. And then it says that everything on the earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything is giving glory to God. And so we then, 
we participate in that. So in our worship, that's when, when, when the veil that separates the physical reality and the spiritual reality, which is what I think the Jews understood as heaven and earth. Heaven is the spiritual reality. Earth is the physical reality. So it's all right here. It's all very close. And when we worship, the veil between those two things gets the thinnest, right? When we take communion, we, you know, we've prayed that the Spirit would come and make these elements the body and blood of Christ. That's just not making it in some kind of just physical way. But it's this grander kind of mystical, spiritual reality that involves both the physical elements and the spiritual elements. We're bringing all those things together. So worship is one of the ways that we help bring heaven to earth, right? It's what we do, and God God blesses it, and God takes it up, and God uses it. But there's lots of other ways which this happens too. But just, just a quick aside, this is what I think Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he's talking about the resurrection. As Paul talks about the resurrection, he's not saying, hey, your soul is going to be resurrected so that it can just exist up in heaven. He's saying that you will be bodily resurrected. Your body, your soul, your whole self, your, your embodied person will be resurrected and transformed. But that transformation has more to do with heaven coming here and infusing this reality. Because he doesn't say, well, hold on, wait to the end. If you die before the Lord returns, then you'll be okay. And if you're still around when the Lord returns, you can just be swept up and taken away. What's the beauty about that uh, Paul's account of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he, at the end of it, he says, after he's made this big, long, beautiful argument for the resurrection, he says, let's get to work. Like, he says, our labor is not in vain which is a beautiful thing. It means that the work that we do here on earth, the good work that we do, uh, building and making and creating and resolving conflict and extending grace and mercy and forgiveness and working for justice, all of that work, it's not so much that we are making the kingdom, but it's that God is allowing us to participate in his work of the coming of the kingdom. God kind of takes our work up and he, he blesses it and he, he uses it uh, for the coming of the kingdom so that all of our work, as Paul would say, is not in vain. Now, I think this happens in some beautiful ways sometimes. Like it can happen in art. Art can, can lift us up, right? Whether it's music or painting, certainly it can happen in architecture. Like when you're in a beautiful space, your, your, your soul is kind of lifted. This is like, think of the, the grand kind of cathedrals that we have across the country and across the world with these kind of beautiful naves and these, these really high ceilings. It's a wonderful place to go and to visit and to worship. So art and architecture and music, all, all of those things are ways in which we help bring heaven to earth. But we also do that in our acts of justice. We do it in our acts of mercy. We do it in our acts of love. I mean, we've been throughout this Easter season celebrating the resurrection and celebrating the life that Jesus has given us through the resurrection. 
But starting next week, we're going to kind of launch into a Pentecost and a post-Pentecost series called Love and Be Loved. And it's as we love and as we experience the love of God and the love of one another, and then we share that love with others, that is, that is one of the key ways in which we help bring heaven to earth. We help the spiritual reality that, that God is living in and operating in become part of the physical reality. We, we're carrying on the work of Christ so that the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness, the same spirit that Jesus said had anointed him to proclaim the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to heal the sick, and to proclaim uh, liberty and uh, jubilee for those who are oppressed. That same spirit is now given to us so that we, the body of Christ, the church of God, can, can participate in just that kind of of lovely, beautiful, kingdom-making work. This, my friends, is what the Ascension is about, is that Jesus has now occupied this spiritual reality that he's on the throne. Not, Not the throne in some kind of, again, some geographical space that's far, far away, you know, and, and a, in a galaxy far, far away, in uh, somewhere over the rainbow, that, that kind of kind of mythical, mythical reality, but more of a, a mystical, more a spiritual reality. And to say that God is on the throne is to say that God reigns, that God is sovereign, and that Jesus has taken his rightful place on the throne with the Father. And I think that really empowered the early church, and I think it should empower us too. You see, it's in a lot of those kind of messianic communities that they had at the time of Jesus, if one person was thought to be God's anointed, God's deliverer, right, people would follow them. And sometimes it was very kind of politically oriented. Sometimes it was religiously oriented. Sometimes it was more kind of militant oriented, right? They were going to fight for Israel, going to fight against the Romans or or before them the Greeks, or before them the Persians, or, or the Babylonians, or whoever it was, right? God's, God's anointed one would come and deliver us. But when one of those leaders would die, the title of Christ, Messiah, King, would be passed to the next leader of the group, unless they were just kind of completely obliterated. I mean, it's what we find in the, in the, uh, uh, the kingdoms of Europe, kind of throughout the Middle Ages, right? There's this statement, um, the king uh, is dead, long live the king. Like, if the king is dead, why do we say long live the king? It's because when the king dies, there's a succession. The, the role of king, the title of king, is passed on to someone else. So the king is dead, meaning the old king, but long live the king because we have a new king. So the same thing would have typically happened in messianic movements when your Messiah figure died. The the title of Messiah would have been passed on to someone else. But in the early church, the title of Messiah wasn't passed on to James or to Peter or, or to Paul. And that's because the early church believed in the resurrection. They believed in the ascension. They had experienced it, that you're not going to pass the title of Christ 
onto someone else because Christ is still alive. Christ had died, but praise God, he was resurrected and he was among the people for those 40 days. And even his ascension, his, his kind of, his ascension to the throne, as, as the creed says, right? He ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So that's, that's what the church believes. And that's what we believe. And if we really believe in the ascension, if we can take it seriously, that it means that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that what we said about Jesus as being the Son of God, as being the Christ, as being the Messiah, as being this one who had, who had come in the flesh and dwelt among us, uh, full of grace and truth, all of that is true. And now we believe that he has taken his rightful place. So in the early church, if Jesus is on the throne, then it's time to get to work. It's time to live this life like we're living in the kingdom of God that is coming, that is breaking into our reality. So we don't have to uh, bow to Caesar. We don't have to play the world's games. We don't have to imagine that the world is winning and the world is going to be this kind of uh, powerful place that can ultimately win and oppress uh, the people. Because we know who's on the throne. We know who's sovereign. And he has ascended and taken his place. And as I said, he has sent his spirit, right? The descent of the spirit now uh, fills us and empowers us to do the work of the Lord, to carry on his mantle. And that's exactly what I think the early church did. And that's why we have the church today and that's exactly what I think we should do. And I think we are doing it. I mean, in this time, there's, you know, talk about uh, the church and what the church is and uh, what does it mean for us to be a church? Look, our church is open. It's always been open. We're doing the ministry of the church. We're worshiping. We're praying. We're uh, serving well, we might not be gathering at the building there on Winter Lake Road, but the building is not the church. The building is where we come as the church to, to celebrate and worship. And I do look forward to the time when we, when we will kind of gather together again, but that time's not quite yet. I'll be uh, sending out a message uh, later this week and we'll, where I talk more about kind of our plans about those things. But for now, I just want to encourage you to, to lean into the Lord, to, to, to trust in this, this story, this kind of beautiful story of the death, the resurrection, and the ascension uh, of Jesus. One, one last note is that um, Hebrews, when it talks about the ascension, it mentions specifically that Jesus ascends into the heavenly temple. Because it's there that we see that the sacrifice that he made on the cross and the vindication that, G, that, that God offered by raising Jesus from the dead is then kind of applied universally in the heavenly temple. 
Because as Jesus is there, he becomes our intercessor, right? His, his sacrifice is applied kind of, again, heavenly, but understanding heavenly to just be the spiritual reality of all of, of, all of the universe. And so now that's effective everywhere. And so Jesus, as our high priest, is actively interceding for us which as we talked about uh, last week, or maybe it was the week before, and the way then that we are a priesthood of believers, we too, like Jesus, should intercede for one another, which is what we do in the prayers of the people. And it's what we also do in our care groups and our relationships and our families. So this is our work. It's the work of grace. It's the work of mercy. It's the work of love. It's the work of forgiveness. It's the work of beauty, of art, of music. It's the work that we do when we love our children and we educate them. It's the work we do when we reach out to our loved ones, when we care for them, when we carry their burdens, and when we intercede, which is all of those things. That's the work of the church. And that's the work that we are actively doing. So my prayer for us today is that we would have a revelation of this beautiful event of the ascension and of the enthronement of Jesus. And that we would realize that in this Jewish sense, it doesn't mean that he's far away. It means that in a very real sense, because he's occupying all of the spiritual reality, all of this space that is so close and so near, closer to ourselves in some ways than we are to ourselves. And that's That's where Jesus is. He's right here. He's right here with us. And we're praying that at his coming, at his appearing, that we'll have this realization and this more kind of vital reality of those things as all the evils are are set right and all the ills are healed. That's our hope. And that's in the future. But until then, We do the work. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.